Hello, and welcome to Jalo the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, I'm diving into The Washing Machine from 1993. This film centers around a police inspector who is called in to investigate a young woman's claim to have found a dismembered body inside her washing machine. Once the inspector arrives at the scene of the crime, there is no dead body in sight. Instead, the inspector finds three beautiful sisters who entangle him in a dangerous web of sexual obsession, fantasy, and intrigue. This episode is dedicated to the washing machine and cannibal Holocaust director, Ruggiero Diodato, who passed away in Rome on December 29, 2022. Film director Ruggiero Diodato has the dubious honor of being the man who, over 40 years ago, created Cannibal Holocaust. This is one of the most infamous horror films of all time. On this episode, I'll talk about Cannibal Holocaust's significance to modern horror. I'll also review the film of Diodato's that most closely resembles a murder mystery with The Washing Machine. Including slight touches of Jalo elements, The Washing Machine contains lies, murder, a liberal dose of female nudity, a clairvoyant character, dream sequences, a black cat, a lot of sex, countless acts of deception, and of course, dangerous ladies. Inspector Alexander Stasev is called to the house of three sisters, Ludmilla, Vita, and Maria, after Ludmilla claims to have found the dismembered body of Vita's pimp boyfriend, Yuri, inside their washing machine. When Inspector Alexander arrives and finds no dead body, he tells the sisters there is no case and chalks the sighting up to a drunken hallucination. The sisters think otherwise and continue to follow and pester Alexander about the disappearance of Yuri, luring the inspector into their mysterious world. This episode will contain spoilers. The washing machine is available to buy or rent on Amazon. You might also find this movie listed under the title Mortal Vortex. With the washing machine, Diodato tries his best to reboot the Jalo subgenre, stretching its boundaries into this extreme, surreal, erotic thriller. I would like to mention before you watch this movie that there is one trigger warning for an implication of suicide. There's also a lot of nudity and sex. That could be a trigger warning, but I guess it probably isn't an issue if you're listening to this podcast and you like this subgenre that I talk about every month but I figured I would mention it again. Based on a play by the same name, The Washing Machine was released in 1993, but did not find distribution in its home country of Italy. The film was released on home video in the Netherlands and was unearthed in 2014 with the help of the director himself, and it's now revived by Shameless Screen Entertainment. The UK-based distribution company Shameless is known for releasing films which tend to be known as guilty pleasure films with a decent amount of nudity or violence. Instead of hiding the sleaze factor, Shameless often emphasizes this on their packaging, which is very seldom subtle. The steelbook case for the washing machine is appropriately yellow in color as an adoring nod to the Jalo paperback novels. It also features a design by artist Graham Humphreys, 
You may recognize Graham's work from the perfectly vintage promotional art for Astron 6's The Editor, which is a fantastic black comedy giallo. I reviewed The Editor on this podcast, and I would highly recommend checking it out on Tubi and Hoopla. With a cast of relative unknowns and actors new to the craft, Diodato gave various reactions to the film on different occasions. In one interview, he stated he wasn't happy with the film as the casting was wrong and that the film was made too quickly. I can only say that I am not at all pleased with the final result because it's a very intimate movie and should have been well-known actors, which it does not. So after the first few minutes, it collapses. The director described the film as being made precariously and without distribution. In another interview, he described the film as interesting, which I agree, and that it was an erotic giallo with a horror tinge to it, which I also agree. (laughs) At least he knows what he made. And he also mentioned that each character has a different point of view of the central situation, which is totally true. The movie features four significant characters. We have the Inspector Alexander and the three sisters, Vita, Ludmilla, and Maria, all dissecting a murder case and what really happened. Using camera techniques and flashbacks, the film reveals the complexities of human nature as our main characters recount different versions of the story. Featuring a great theme song by Goblin's Claudio Simonetti, The Washing Machine is somewhat of an odd film. Setting-wise, Budapest is truly a beautiful location, and the film is beautifully shot. Shadows, dark wood, and cobblestone set the tone for a pretty sleazy thriller. Budapest is a place of ornate decadence and decay, where palaces and clubs look almost the same. Also, The Washing Machine is from 1993, which is a bit late into the peak Jalo cycle. The movie does look dated for the 90s. It could just be the camera style, but also it doesn't help that the setting of Budapest really accentuates the decaying infrastructures and the old school technology, so it really is a dated film. For a straight thriller, this movie is full of gratuitous sex and seedy surroundings, but for a typical softcore 90s film, it's actually a little too polished. The Washing Machine is often called a giallo, but it does lack most of the prominent genre tropes, offering only a small mystery without a ton of tension. It doesn't really have a large body count. I guess, in typical giallo fashion, the police aren't very helpful. (laughs) But this guy, he's like, he takes the cake. During the investigations, the inspector spends most of his time sleeping with each of the sisters. The three sisters each have defining characteristics, and they look nothing alike. We have the eldest sister. She's a brazen prostitute. The middle one is a quiet, uh, kind of like a hippie musician. And the youngest is a bisexual charity worker that likes to help out the blind in her spare time. Eventually, the inspector and his colleague stumble across potential evidence, such as a suitcase full of money and jewelry. We get introduced to the money and the jewelry subplot, an S&M subplot, there's a character that commits suicide, 
But after that, there's whole subplots like those that get abandoned, leaving the audience confused and curious about what is really happening. With a runtime of 90 minutes, so this one is an hour and a half long, there is one death every 15 minutes on average, six deaths total, one female, five males. I won't completely spoil who dies, but I will talk about the manner of which they die. Uh, First kill is what kicks off this entire movie. (laughs) A male found dead in a washing machine cut into pieces. Then there's a female that commits suicide off screen. It's not shown. There's a male chopped up and disemboweled. Maybe possibly a dream sequence. There's a male strangled, has his throat slit with a wire. Our fifth kill is a male found dead in the washing machine, so it repeats the first kill of the movie. And lastly, we have a male electrocuted in a bathtub, which might not even have really happened. It could be a dream sequence. It could be reality. It does create questions and a little bit of yearning for what's to come, but nothing really comes. (laughs) The mystery of this film is certainly convoluted. Very little happens. So the writer resorts to dream sequences, a lot of sex, a lot of female nudity. There's always something interesting to look at or beautiful. Even the sex scenes show a little bit of imagination than what's typically seen in pop films or typically seen in these giallo films. They're a little bit more artistic. But the storyline doesn't add up to much. And again, the end of this movie is incredibly silly, might even be considered a fake ending. But if you enjoy Dangerous Ladies, if you enjoy late night 90s smutty thrillers, you might like this film. You might like it a lot. The Washing Machine is a late stage giallo thriller from director Ruggiero Diodato. When you mention the director's name, the first title that pops into mind will likely be the infamous Cannibal Holocaust. The Italian director was best known for helming that cult classic, which was often credited for pioneering the found footage style of filmmaking. Some cinephiles might also mention The House at the Edge of the Park as their favorite entry in his filmography. As a teenager, Diodato befriended Henzo Rossellini, son of the director Roberto Rossellini which gave him connections in the film world. He started out as an extra, but after failing an audition for a Federico Fellini film, he gave up his acting career to take up directing. From 1959 to 1968, he worked on nearly 30 films. In the 60s, he worked on a number of Italian films, including Antonio Margaretti's Horror Castle and two spaghetti westerns directed by Sergio Corbucci. Diodato was the assistant director to both Roberto Rossellini and Sergio Carucci, and you can clearly see their influence in his work. Before leaving the film industry for television advertising, Diodato directed a few comedies, musicals, and thrillers, and made a comeback to the big screen in 1976 with the brutal police drama Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. The film was originally censored in Italy due to a scene where a man's eyeballs are gouged out and squished underfoot. Very Fulci, I love it. A year later, Diodato rebooted the cannibal cinema mondo genre with his 1977 jungle adventure, Last Cannibal World, 
also known as Jungle Holocaust. This mondo genre was pioneered by Umberto Lenzi years earlier. Diodato has said, I was lucky enough to have been exposed to many different directors, and each one of them has been essential to my growth. Margaretti taught me a lot about special effects, while from Sergio Carbucci, I inherited a certain taste for violence and brutality. This comes into play not even three years after Last Cannibal World was released. Diodato's 1980 film, The House on the Edge of the Park, was the most censored on the video nasties list in the UK for its graphic violence. In that same year, the director returned to the cannibal genre with Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust tells the story of a group of documentary filmmakers who go missing after they trek into the Amazon rainforest to make a movie about cannibal tribes. After their footage is uncovered, an American TV news station decides to air the tapes, and the rest of the movie follows the recovered footage. Not only did this film basically invent the idea of found footage horror films, it created a new kind of exploitation film that influenced cannibal films for decades. In an episode of the Shudder series Cursed Films, Diodato said, I found myself at home alone with my son, and we would watch the news together, which was terrible at the time. So at dinner, you'd see all the conflicts that were going on, the victims of the Red Brigade. It was continuous carnage, and you would see it all, everything, all the time. So I came up with the idea of journalists who set off to make a documentary on what happens along the Amazon River. Their aim was to film as many atrocities as possible, and when there was nothing, they would invent them. In addition to its violence and gore, Cannibal Holocaust also received criticism for its portrayal of sexual violence. The film features several scenes of rape and sexual assault. Its graphic content led it to being banned in several countries and sparked debate about the role of violence in media. Although not the first film to fool audiences into thinking the on-screen gore was real, Cannibal Holocaust is probably the most famous. The style of filming and the employment of real indigenous people as actors led some viewers to suspect that the on-camera deaths were real. Following rumors that Cannibal Holocaust was a genuine snuff film, it was confiscated after 10 days, <laughs> literally 10 days after its premiere, and Diodato was charged first with obscenity and then later with murder. It probably didn't help that the four main actors had contract provisions demanding that they stay in hiding and out of media for one year. Even after the director broke the actors' contracts and brought them into an Italian television show to prove they were alive, he still had to explain how he pulled off some of the gags in the movie, particularly the disturbing impalement. Only then were the murder charges dropped. Following Cannibal Holocaust, Diodato directed several more horror films, including 1986's Body Count and 1988's Phantom of Death. He continued to make films through the 90s, and his final work was released in the 2019 anthology film Death Sember. That same year, the filmmaker was honored with a documentary of his own about his life and career called Diodato Holocaust, which consists of a series of interviews with the Italian director, edited with images from his movies and personal photographs. You can watch Diodato Holocaust right now on Tubi. There's no doubt Ruggiero Diodato has had a huge impact on genre cinema and found footage films. 
Oliver Stone and Quentin Tarantino have cited him as an inspiration for their work. Diodato directed other films throughout his career, but Cannibal Holocaust was his most famous and reached cult status in the horror community. With this episode's Flavor of the Month picks, I want to shine a light on cannibalism and Diodato's influence on genre cinema. I have two picks for you this episode. First up, taking its name from Cannibal Holocaust's movie within a movie, Eli Roth's The Green Inferno is probably the strongest case for Diodato's extreme art influence. In the film, a group of student activists travel to the Amazon to save the rainforest and soon discover that they are not alone and that no good deed goes unpunished. This is a straight-up cannibal movie. In real life, Eli Roth ended up striking up a friendship with Diodato over the years. And the late filmmaker even made a cameo playing a cannibal in 2007's Hostel Part 2. My next Flavor of the Month pick is a movie directed by Anna Lily Amapur. I think this one would be a good pairing with The Washing Machine, as it has a very different feel from that very self-contained movie that only takes place, like, in those sisters' apartments. 2016's The Bad Batch. It's a cannibal film with a large cast, and it has a ton of world-building. In the movie, Arlene is abandoned in a Texas wasteland that is fenced off from civilization. While trying to navigate the unforgiving landscape, Arlene is captured by a savage band of cannibals led by the mysterious Miami Man. The film is led by Sookie Waterhouse, and you can watch The Bad Batch right now on Netflix. I wanted to shout out friend of the podcast, Justin Landsman, in their gothic neo-Jalo short film, The Five Fingers of a Dog. Infused with Jalo spirit and cosmic dread, The Five Fingers of a Dog is a strange little, blood-soaked fever dream, which I very much enjoyed. It's jam-packed at 24 minutes. You will not guess what happens minute to minute in this one. And the score is so amazing. I really, really love the score. You can find more details about the film and upcoming screenings at The Five Fingers of a Dog Film on Instagram. Jalo of the Month Club is now on Letterboxd. Follow the list titled Jalo of the Month Club for every movie reviewed on this podcast, including this one. You can also follow Jalo of the Month Club on Twitter and Instagram at Jalo Club. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. Theme music is by Dream Division. Dream Division music on Instagram. And you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at DianaNK. Pro tip, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll likely know what movie will be featured on the next episode because I log everything that I watch. Listeners, thank you for joining me on this dive into The Washing Machine. I'm your host, Diana Koch, and you've been listening to Jello of the Month.